0: Everything's waiting for you, you just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan, this is the Get Off The Bench Podcast and here is where your courageous life starts. Hey there and welcome to another week of the Get Off The Bench Podcast. Now this podcast, Get Off The Bench of course, is to inspire people to get off the bench or to back themselves to actually go and do something they love. Now, sometimes people get off the bench because they're chasing that thing they love. Sometimes because it's through adversity, something goes wrong and it sort of accidentally almost leads them to uh, doing something great or doing something that's more meaningful to them. Other people get off the bench because they're in a situation that they absolutely hate and they need to escape it. For some people, it's even survival. Now that is the case for today's guest and you are going to love this story. I'm going to give you a little overview and I can tell you what, when we're in a situation where we don't need to escape something and we could just chase our dreams, uh, I reckon we should do that. Let me tell you about today's guest. Shabnam Igani was born in the north of Iran, of Baha'i faith, and with a wonderful childhood, she believed in the equality of men and women and the emphasis on girls' education. She was 12 years old when the Islamic Revolution happened in 1979 and the Islamic government took over the country. It was a memorable moment in her life as she remembers she was in secondary school and wearing a nice pink shirt and short grey skirt uniform that changed overnight into a long black dress and head cover referred to as a manto. Subjected to discrimination, bullying and harassment for being non-Muslim, all Baha'i people with a government job Qualified doctors, nurses, lawyers, teachers and other professions lost their jobs. At the age of 18, she married an overprotective and controlling man who slowly made her miserable to where her confidence and self-esteem hit their lowest point and she became physically and mentally sick. She could not make any decisions for herself and was subjected to emotional and psychological abuse for many years leaving Shab with no conclusion other than that she had no choice to escape to a free country. She counts herself lucky that Australia gave her that refuge. Her book titled Fighting for a Future, Trapped Behind the Border, tells her life story. Shab attained her master's degree in nursing, specialising in nursing management and clinical nurse studies, and today works as a clinical nurse specialist at the Royal North Shore Hospital. Shab has a YouTube channel predominantly in Persian, with more than 3,000 subscribers. Her aim is to help other people who are doing it tough in life and who are looking for answers and a direction. Welcome, Shab. Thank you for having me today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Now, I did introduce you at the start as, as uh, Shabnam, and I just said Shab through the intro and Shab now, so that's what we, you prefer to be called. You can call me Shab. Yeah, yeah fantastic. You have got, um, I, don't, I don't even know where to start, it is what a hell of a story, Do you know, it is incredible and it's not unique in the sense that they're, um, it's unique in the sense that you escaped and that, you know, you, that you've built this other life and that you're uh, helping other women but it's not unique in the fact that there are many, many, many women in the world that are absolutely trapped, you know, and due to i guess due to culture you know and due to uh, religion and, and a lot of other other things and it's it's absolutely not okay for women to be in that s- submissive situation but for you it's uh, you've escaped and and you live to tell it and you are now sharing your message with so many other people and i just think that's wonderful and it's so needed because bureaucrats can say whatever they want and women don't get the courage but when another woman has lived a story and tells it, women start to believe, I, I can do that, you know, maybe I can. So my absolute admiration to you for... Thank you. For, for your courage. But now prior to that takeover, what was it like? You're from North Iran. What, what was it like there?
1: The life before the revolution, it was fantastic. It was so nice. I remember my childhood, it was... Uh, carefree, happy memory. I, as you say, I am actually born in north of Iran near Caspian Sea. It's a beautiful area with lots of fruit trees, citrus trees, and a big family, four siblings, mom and dad, very devoted. Uh, Dad had um, actually rice land outside, outside of the city, but he had another two business on top of that. So he had Muslim people working for him. At that time, yep. um, big family, as I said, cousin, lots of uncles and aunties, lots of gathering, nice cooking, Persian cooking. And mom was a very good cook. So my memory is all dancing, singing, getting together, happy life. We used to go to uh, Caspian Sea for swim, actually, for holiday with all the family. It was like Australia, everyone free when you're swimming custom, men and women get together. And uh, my childhood dream always was to be a nurse or working as a healthcare professional. So I knew it's going to happen because my uh, aunt um grew up as a Baha'i face and my parents really emphasize on Baha'i face really emphasize on education, especially for the girls. Mm. So my parents would provide me with the best education I went to um, a private school, which is mixed with the boys. and I knew I'm going to have this dream come true. And um, I had a beautiful grandma. We used to make a campfire on the, um, like a front yard, making baked potato and with my cousin and play together. So it was so nice. It's like Australia. When I came to Australia, I say, wow, that was like before in Iran. It's exactly the same free country. That was my memory of my childhood. Wow, it's, it's it's
0: hard to it's it's hard to imagine because being Australian and always experiencing that kind of life. It's hard to imagine that that could ever be taken away. And yet I know it could. You know, I, I know that, that at any time that that could happen. But when you're talking about your your cousins and your siblings and your, uh, you know, your parents and everything, and we're going to talk about your escape, you know, eventually we'll get into that. But um, when you did escape, like, was there any repercussions for any
1: of them or are they still there or? You know. And I've got most of my family, I've got my parents here, my siblings all here now, oh, and I've got all the other families. It's like my dad coming from the big family, I think, um, nine brothers, sisters, mm-hmm. uh, some of them in all around the like, world, everywhere, in America, Canada, everywhere. So we're not seeing each other as we used to, but we can talk through the phone and social media, and we still keep contact with them, but that time, yeah, it was it was hard to say goodbye to all those family because when I left, only my brother was here. Yeah, and my dad was back in Iran, and the other cousins and others were still back in Iran. Yeah. Wow. That,
0: yes, that would have been so. Hard. I'm so glad that most of them are free, and you know, most of them are. Uh, you know arrests scattered around the place and that, yeah. and that you can live a, a relatively normal life but because that doesn't always happen sometimes there are repercussions for, for yeah. family members Do, you know when somebody somebody
1: escapes or does that but i'm so so happy to hear that. But i still got lots of family back in Iran. I still got my niece back in Iran with two boys which they have no future. they cannot go to university they have absolutely no future. It's heartbreaking. I've got lots of, like, I mean, extended family back in Iran as well and close family as well. So,
0: And so even though they're boys, they've got no future because they are non-Muslim.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you are Baha'i, you have no chance to go to university. You have to convert to Islam. To be able to go to university or to have any job but like it's hard to have your job if you have a job as your private like i mean open a shop for yourself they make the life horrible for you very hard because there's so much hatred about bahai and um, in iran which is all uh, spread by the government and the islamic regime in iran
0: That would it's bloody awful isn't it and I have not studied the Quran, and I don't know enough about it, so I shouldn't be sort of talking like I do know about it. But what I have heard is people say that it's full of peace, and you know, and then you see things like this, you know, and it's just it's it's always a core group of radical people, didn't you know that that destroy other people's lives and you know apparently you know supposedly all the religions are filled with love and sharing and caring for each other and then then you see things like this and then religion gets blamed but it's 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 just it's a pack of fanatics you know that are usually men uh, you know sorry to say but it is usually men that are gathering together you know for power and then they they hide behind the the, the the religion, whatever. It it's funny. Anyway, let's not go down that rabbit burrow because I'll get right down there and I'll get shitty.
1: so yeah, but I want to say something. As a Baha'i, we believe on one mankind and one religion. Like every religion, it's just one religion and one God. So as you say, exactly right. The man coming and changes to what they suit him. And what they're good for them. Otherwise, every religion is right. Yeah. They got lots of goodness in them. Hundred percent. And I always say,
0: you know, one one people, one love, one planet. You know, we're just all all together, all connected, and it's it's all the borders and religions and the politics and this, it just keeps separating and dividing people. And like we all know, the more people are divided, the more they can be controlled, Do, you know, and it's we see it happening all around the world at the moment. It's, it's It has been for years and years and years, for centuries, but Oh, anyway, so when you, you know, I know in the intro, I read out that you had this beautiful pink shirt and a grey skirt, and you know, overnight, um, you were you're forced into a long black dress, and and you know, you were girls' education was kind of kiboshed. You know, it's like no, we're not going to support that. Well, what happened to your education after that takeover?
1: This happened like the change happened so quickly after the revolution. And um, it was like I, was, I went to school two days after the revolution happened and I could easily see the changes because my friends, my neighbours, they, uh, they were Muslim. They tried to ignore me because they're probably scared of the government. Mm-hmm. All the teachers which not uh, support the Islamic regime or uh, from different religion, not Muslim, non-Muslim, all sacked from the job and eventually graduated change with the Muslim, very phonetic teachers and principal. They all change. And I was subjected to like some of the Baha'i girls was or Baha'i boys was expelled from the school straight away. But I was fortunate but I was subjected to discrimination, humiliation. And uh, I remember walking in front of the class to get into and sit in my chair and the geography teacher, I remember really that lady, she was a uh, she was covering herself from top to bottom. Um, we call it chador, it's just a, a black material you cover yourself. And every time I walk in, she was make sure she make me just feel so small in front of everyone. It tried to break my spirit at that time. And uh, I was followed by girls from school and telling me names like Najes which in Iran is mean dirty unclean and imagine you are 12 years old and it's getting your brain why they call me najes I was asking my mom why are they calling me uh, like unclean I'm, I'm showering I always clean myself my mom said don't worry about people what the people are telling you it's not you it's them and they was calling a sinner, and uh, we had I absolutely, I had to watch whatever I was saying. I had to watch what I was doing in a school just because I knew they're going expel me from a school in a drop of hat. Mm. So I was very careful with that. It was fee all the time. And as soon as we walk in a school, they was search everything, make sure we don't carry everything, anything with us. And it was horrible for a 12 years old which had a life like that, beautiful, happy. I believe on humanity, I believe in every religion is one religion. I got lots of Muslim people, I've got people from Christianity background. All of the sudden, our corner as a person, which is totally different from everyone else, is a sinner. So I, I was thinking, if it wasn't because of my parents, I was thinking maybe something wrong with me. Mm. But my parents keep telling me. It is nothing to do with with you. It's just them. Just go to your go to school, do your study. So I was trying very, very hard, actually, very hard to pass my exam because um, two of my teachers at that time they really hated the Bahai people, and they was always telling me in front of the class, "We make sure you fail this year." So I worked so hard just to pass my HSC, and um, then, oh, my dream just gone forever because I couldn't go to university. And They told me you have to convert to Muslim to be able to go to university. And that was the end of my dream to be a nurse back in Iran.
0: Wow. Th- that's just, you know, you work so hard. We're going to fail you and, and now I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to pass. And then it was just like, for what but it, it, it hasn't been for what because you've ended up you know be, becoming a nurse over here so at least at least what the effort that you put in you know has been rewarded now when you how soon after you left school did you end up um you know marrying the man that you did like did did, did you marry him straight away and was it just a fit in or must- the peace?
1: few months. That wasn't arranged marriage or it was a forced marriage. It wasn't that. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I was in high school because I started school early. Um, in Iran, when you, when I went to private school, I could go to school a bit early. So I started year one earlier. So I finished my HSC when I was 17. When I was 17, I was doing my HSC. In Iran, I had a few proposals, marriage proposals. And that was ten on by me and my parents because I was young and I wanted to study. When I turned 18, I had, I keep having that proposal that that's normally is a custom in Iran. And the boys see you and like you. And they ask the parents, they come and propose. So I had a proposal from my ex and my parents decided, oh, he's a good looking man, good family. So he's a good candidate. And I say, yeah, that's fine. And um, my brother at that time was planning to leave Iran and um, come to Australia. So I really wanted to go with him, but my dad didn't want to put me in danger at that time. That is such a, a like a young age. And mm. um, so I decided, yeah, okay, I'll get married. But I remember I just 100% sure if I could go to university, no way I'll get married at that such a young age. Mm and yeah that was the start of my marriage so you, so you straight after school
0: 18 so wow so you married him and had two kids but um it, it wasn't until you were 29 so you stayed there you were married to him for 11 years with two kids what was it like being married to him
1: And as soon as I married him, actually, the life was totally changed. He was super controlling. He controlled every aspect of my life. He was keep telling me, I love you. I cannot live without you. And first I was asking, oh, if you love me, why are you force me just to wear what you want me to wear? Or why are you not letting me to be free? Even going to shopping, I have to ask for permission i'm going to see my parents i have to ask for permission and uh, any aspect of my life i mean even reading a book it just criticizing me are you reading the book you should look after the kids and reading a book or i was writing an article for the competition in baha'i writing and then he was telling me um you know you better concentrate on the kids and your marriage life than you do writing for this competition it's a stupid thing So every time, slowly, slowly try to just crash my confidence. And at the end I came to the point because it was lots of of fighting. It was a very bad environment, lots of negative things. So I started to say, okay, that's my life. I'm going to accept it. I cannot go to university. I trap now and I just have to make him happy. Maybe if I make him happy, he will give me more free freedom. You might call me a stupid, but I never blame him for whatever he done to me. And um, I always blame myself. I say, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not a good mother. Maybe I'm not good a wife. Maybe I should listen to him. To the point I couldn't make any decision for myself. Always was saying, oh, uh, watch whatever I was saying in front of people because I knew he'd jump and correct me. Outside, everyone knew, like, no one knew about what's happening mm. inside of a life. Everyone said, oh, you lucky? This man loves you so much because they always tell me, I love you. I cannot live without you. I'll kill myself if you leave me. And even he threatened me to kill me when I left. And so I was really, really trapped in a bad situation. I didn't want to tell anything to my mom and dad because I knew they were suffering in their life. Dad lost his land because not being uh, Muslim and being Baha'i. He had his own issue with the government, uh, his business. It was very hard for him at that time because being Baha'i, I I didn't want to break his heart with what's happening in my life. So I tried to cover it from everyone and put everything inside myself and say, I'm responsible. I'm suffering. I don't want anyone else to suffer because what's happening to me. So it's getting to the point I emotionally it's affect me, physically affect me. To the point I was fainting all of a sudden, without anything, like too much pressure. And I was fainting. And the doctor couldn't find what was wrong. And they say, oh. It could be a mental thing could be emotional pressure or but I wasn't telling anyone what's going on mm. at that time
0: wow oh my god you know it, it sounds sort of like uh, amazingly unreal but there are so many women currently you know experiencing this same thing some leave um some uh sadly are murdered you know some kill themselves some put up with it so it it just depends on the on the woman but the one thing in common seems to be that they all blame themselves you know and they all they all get to a point where their confidence is so um so controlled and so beaten down you know that they actually start questioning themselves and believing that they're in the they're in the wrong and they're the ones that have caused it it's it's incredible what made you What what was that? What was the turning point where you decided? Well, I'm 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 out of here. I'm going to actually grab my two kids. And by the way, how old? Tell us how old they were when you went. But you know what? What made you grab them and
1: say that's it? How did How did you do it? I started to change slowly after I had my first son. Like as soon as I had the kids, I know it took me ten years because it's not easy to say you can't escape. Tomorrow and get everything, pack everything, go. There's nowhere to go. If I wanted to get divorced from this man, I I was going to lose my kids because in Iran, the kids are going to the father. I could be murdered. I could, so many things could happen to me. I couldn't find a job because I'm Baha'i. I I couldn't go and find a job. So I couldn't be an independent woman with two kids, be able to raise my two kids. Without any problem. So that took me 10 years to decide I'm doing this for my kids. First, for my kids. I don't care what happened to me. I don't care what's happening to me after that. But these two innocent souls need to escape this government, which is controlling everything, and the father, which is going to control everything in life as well. He was a good father to me. I mean, I, I have to say, he was a good um, father to the kids. He never like uh, punish them or beat them or do things like that. No, he wasn't. Emotionally, yes, not physically, mm. but emotionally, we getting to the point we couldn't make any decision for ourselves. So I thought, this is not for me. This is for my kids because my life for my kids. I, I know every other mother probably the same. It's a lot. So, you put your kids in front of yourself. So, I thought, that's it. I'm not going to leave anymore, but I have to find a way to escape. So, I tried to tell him, okay, I'm going to get divorced. I'm not going to live like that. And he was coming back to me and begged me to come back. We're going to have a better life. Two days, find everything perfect and then change again. So, I did that so many times. Then I realized, no. It's not going to work this way. So then I decided I'm going to escape Iran because I'm going to escape the government and him. But, you know, you got the kids, you want to marry to work, you want a father, um, your, your kids to have a father. You want that man to have uh, the kids, I mean, um, in their life as well. So I decided to go and... Um, the first time I escaped Iran with him. So it took me months and months to convince him, I'm going to take the kids and escape Iran. I want you to come with us. I want you to be with your kids. I want you to be with us. And uh, he was saying, no, this is not going to happen. So we had so many argued. And at the end, he decided reluctantly, okay, I'm following you. i will coming with you. So that's my first journey to Turkey with him.
0: Wow. And but it was he was
1: he Muslim or was he Baha'i? He born Baha'i, but he wasn't practicing any religion. Yeah. So he wasn't like really Muslim. He wasn't practicing Baha'i. He wasn't, he was most in enjoy your time now, don't worry about future. There was no plan for future. What's your future? It's in future. And as Probably is a culture in Iran. The man is always controlling the woman. Mm. And they think the other thing with him, maybe he was he lost his mother when he was very young. It was maybe he was thinking this way he can control me to don't lose me. So he could keep keep me forever. Yeah. Which was the wrong reason.
0: Yeah.
1: and um, so yeah. So so when you escape with him
0: over to Turkey, you you were brought back, like you, you were arrested and brought back. And so, like, is that because you were Baha'i or what What, what happened? So we
1: couldn't get our passport because with Baha'i you have to escape Iran on foot through Turkey. Yeah. So um, it took us about a few days to walk to mountain and we rode on back of the horse as well. First time he was with us, so my son was nine, uh, oldest one, and the youngest one was five years old, uh, four years old, first time. So it was a bit easier because he was carrying my four years old and I was with my oldest one, but it was very dangerous. Very dangerous, three days walking and um, it was uh, every time we was thinking about maybe we're going to be arrested by policemen and things like that, the guard. So we went to Turkey. It was getting um, fresh enough to go to the United Nations to get our pass and to do our interview. That day I told myself I did the biggest mistake in my life to have my ex with me. Because as soon as we arrived there in a small hotel to get freshen up and get ready, he was verbally abusing me. He was angry with me. He said, all your fault. You got me away from my friends and my family. You destroyed my life. And I didn't want to come with you. I didn't want to leave Iran. And uh, you... You told me you're going to take the kids away from me, and that's it. And that's why I follow you. And he was so angry, and I had to be quiet because I know he had a very low temper. I had to be very quiet because I don't know. Otherwise, I knew he'd make a big deal of everything. And so I went to the shower and I started sitting there and crying and saying, "What I've done to myself? Why I done that again?" I gave him so many opportunities. Why? Why I did that? I should just take my kids and get away. But my reason was, if you're coming with me to other country, if I'm married, not going to work, so at least I could have my kids at that time because government is not going to take the kids away from me. That was a, actually one of my reasons mm-hmm. because in Iran I couldn't do it. Anyway, we get ready, we went to... Um, united nation with everyone happy but i was very sad i was very tense because i'm getting pressure from him as well we had our interview and then we are we had our passes to go to upgrade which was a a country a small countryside and near in the Turkey, but the border of iran so we all get into the baths was going to upgrade to go to the police station and uh, give us, uh, I mean, to give them our passes. Uh, we s- was stopped by the policemen on the road to Ogre. They came in, they asked for uh, uh, passes. They took the passes and they say, um, we're going to follow you to ogre make sure you are safe. So you believe policemen and you got it actually passed from the United Nations, which you say you can't stay in Turkey. So we believe that about five, 10 minutes, we could see the bus driver and the bus to other direction toward Iran. Oh. We all was devastated, crying, the kids was crying. We was begging them, this group of us, about 21, begging them and say, please don't do this to us. We are under protection of the United Nations. Wasn't listening to us. They had a gun as well. They um, they so angry because we was crying, and they all of the time telling us just to be quiet. And uh, anyway, uh, I remember the bus stopped, the engine stopped in the middle of the road, and they made the men to get out of the bus and just um, push a start the bus to go. Um, getting close to Iran. We beg them, can we go to the toilet? The kids need to go to the toilet. They say yes and they follow us to the front of the toilet. We went in and I saw a few ladies there. I begged them, please call the United Nations. We are on the protection of them. They're deporting us back to Iran and they ignore us totally because they're scared. Um so anyway, we went into the bathroom Drive about five, ten minutes, and there was a big sign, welcome to. Um, Iranian Republic blah blah and to be honest I wasn't scared I was angry sad frustrated Found it to. I didn't even get in but I was thinking about the way to get out of this situation and to go back to Turkey anyway we went there lots of questioning for hours and hours and torturing and Uh, all separately, and we went from buildings to buildings with the kids. We end up in the jail for um, actually, uh, I think it was a few weeks, a few days, and then um, we pay a big money, bail, and we release on bail. And we went back to our countryside. Uh, I went to my sister to Tehran capital city for a few days and we went, went back to uh, bubble when we uh, was leaving before.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be enough for me um, to just, ex- I, I probably would, and I'm a bit of a fighter, but I probably would say I'm just going to have to accept everything that's dealt to me but you didn't you you how long was it before you decided to escape again without him this time just you and the kids how long did that take
1: I was in jail that's funniest story my brother came to see us and first thing I saw as soon as he came I didn't say hello how are you anything I say when can I go back to Turkey can you find it out for me and he said are you crazy you're in jail And then you're thinking about, you want to escape again? I said, I don't care, I want just to get out of here. And I was so brave when doing the interview with the um, Mullah back in Iran, it was was torturing me, asking lots of questions. I was so brave. I said, I escaped because you didn't give me passport. You don't give me right in Iran. And he was getting so angry and say, next time you do it and you will see the consequences. Anyway, Ooh. so we went to, um, life was getting very miserable, very miserable after that because my husband was blaming me for everything happened. Uh, constantly we were fighting and I thought, I cannot go anymore. It's too much. One night I get up, I open a bottle of painkiller and I pour it on my hand and I say, I'm going to end of my life. I cannot fight anymore. I have no energy. Look at the pay, I mean, pills in my hand, still I remember, honestly. It was in my sister's house. And I thought, so, I'm so selfish. What's going to happen to my boys after me? Okay, I'm dead, I'm pain-free. What about these two boys? Who are going to look after, me, after them. Do you think the father can do it? I knew 100% he could not look after the kids. The way i did and i was always dreaming for the future for them and uh, i say come on stop being a victim I, honestly it's my head i say i'm not a victim in here i'm a fighter i'm going to fight i'm going to get up do whatever i have to do and that's it tomorrow i was changed mm. we had the argue and i went to my dad's and um, for a few days and i told that um going to get out of Europe. Are you going to help me? He said, I trust you, whatever you want to do, I fully support you. So I called that a smuggler from Turkey and he said, and the road is quite unsafe, I cannot do that again. So you have to wait. I say, I, don't I didn't say anything, I said, I'm not going to wait. I called someone uh, which was taking people, a smuggler taking to Pakistan. So I say, I'm going to Pakistan. Pack everything, pay a big money to that man, Uh, Even the traditional clothes I have to wear on the way for the boys as well, everything organized. And I had a phone call from my smuggler from Turkey and they say, road is safe now. Are you coming with us? I say, yes. Yes. Fantastic. Good. I'm going with you because at least I know there's more opportunity in Turkey, safer in Turkey than Pakistan. And um, at that time, I had to make it so quick because as soon as my husband was going to find out we're escaping, 100% was going to authority and let them know mm. that I'm going to escape. So I told no one, I didn't say goodbye to absolutely no one, only my mom and dad. Pack everything. We went to the border and with a smuggler and went back to, um, I mean, try our second trip. With the second trip, even more scarier because I knew it's not only one day, two days. I knew you're not going to walk for a few hours and you get to the Turkey. It's going to be days of days, and that was winter at that time. Ooh. It was snowing. And my eldest one was 10 and the youngest one just 10, 5. I had to carry my youngest one on my back. And when I finished that three bucket get to Turkey, I was all covered with bruises and cuts. And the young, my eldest one, he's so mature. I'm very fortunate to have two beautiful boys. He was carrying a backpack. And um, I remember we went to, during all that agonising time, very dangerous. You can be raped on that trip. You can be murdered on that trip, which has happened to so many people. So I was very fortunate because it's nothing you can plan. It's not planned. You have to leave it to the God's hand or people which you are going to meet during journey and so what i did and um, only different thing i did i say this time i'm not taking my husband i'm going with my boys so we went to turkey we called united Nations. they say do not come to ankara go straight to ivory and the your um, lawyer is waiting for you we all had a fake passport this time because the United Nations wants a different way this time. We had all uh, fake passport. On the way to agree, I stopped by the police again. Oh. Imagine how much... <sighs> F- fee! And my youngest one was asleep. So I'm so happy he was asleep at that time because I knew when he was awake, he could panic and something could happen. Anyway, they asked for a passport. And they check all the passport, and they say, yes, you can go. Thank God. (laughs) Then we went to to the police station. Lots of questioning, like criminal. We had our picture taken, fingerprint taken. They asked for money, American dollars at that time. Corruption happened everywhere anyway. So we paid that money. And yes, we went to... uh, a hotel, which is um, under protection of United Nations. You call it hotel, but it's not a hotel. It was a four-story building, very old, um, the room. Um, I'll tell you what my experience when I get there. So imagine it's about late afternoon. You go into a country, you don't know the language. You don't know the culture. And you get into the hotel, they say, go and get your room. Everyone going to choose their room, everyone getting room. I was very slow. I had my son, which was a Sam sl- uh, at that time, as I say, five years old, so was carrying him going up. And the room was allocated to me, a room with no door lock, awful room with a, a bed with no linen, filthy mattress, no toilet, no chair, no wardrobe, no curtain, walk in, turn the switch on the lights, and I could see a few men sitting outside drinking and they all staring at me. It was horrible, scared me. So I turned the light off. I was sitting there and didn't know what to do. The boys was hungry. I had a backpack with something like my um, warm clothes for the kids, I had a few, few tuna things like that and canned food. So the boys was hungry. I say, okay, I have to go out and get something for them. I went outside and with my, I mean, couldn't even con- I mean, they communicate with them. So I asked for them some feta and bread. So I fed them with the feta and bread on that night. And I was sitting on the um boys were very tired at that time. So I was sitting on the Bit and uh, I put those boys' head on my lap and covered them with only my long coat, only thing I had. I was sitting and crying and say, "Oh my God! I just to start this trip. It's going to be a very horrible, long journey. But I have to be strong." So I sat there whole night. I slept like that with the kids both resting their head on my lap till in the morning. It was too. It was a few filthy toilet outside was horrible. And there was an area, like a big area for a cooking, but there was no cupboard. There was no cooking stuff. Everyone had their portable, uh, like a gas cooker, um, which I had to go and buy it. I had a backpack with everything, but they took it away. The smuggler took it away from me during the journey and say, it's too heavy for you and you can, your boys, you cannot do it. But they said they're going to send it to me. I never saw it anyway. So I lost a few jewries on the way because some jewries there. Some, but anyway, I
0: was in a free country at that time. Wow! Wow! That, that's just so. It's so. I don't know. I, I'm. I'm almost speechless. I. I know that people do it, but I. It's just. It's. Uh. Takes so much courage and so much bravery and so much determination. You know, to escape. Uh. Something that's so awful. But you ended up making your way to Australia, which is. Fantastic. So, and you just did that from Tur- from Turkey.
1: No, I was in Turkey for nearly twelve months, and it was very hard. It was very hard. Financially, it was hard. My brother and my my brother in Australia, and my dad was supporting me. But I'm sort of the person I want to keep everything to myself. I didn't want to ask for anything. And um, as I said, the language is different. Um, in my book, you will read it, so many things, so many things happen. Even first time I went to Australian embassy, they didn't want me to go to Australia. They wanted, they asked me to go to America or other countries, but I was very determined. You can see I'm sitting there say, so I'm not going anywhere, I'm going to Australia. My brother is in Australia. In Iran, they're forcing me to do whatever they want. In here, people should listen to me. And anyway, <laughs> and it was a very long, very, very, very awful journey. But it's done, actually. Yeah, and I came to Australia, proud to call myself Australian.
0: Uh-huh. What what a journey! I mean, that is amazing. When you when you got to Australia. You know, like now you're married to a beautiful, beautiful man and you are now you've done your nursing degree, you know, and you've, um, you're a clinical nurse, a a clinical nurse specialist at the North Shore Hospital and like you've done all that. So how did you establish yourself? Like when you first got to Australia, what, what did you do with you and the kids to, you know, have all this
1: happen? First night, my brother was here actually, and my sister came before me. But when I arrived in Australia, first night, I still remember it was around nine o'clock when we arrived in Australia. I was so scared because I said, I cannot speak English. I don't have money on me anymore. I don't have, I mean, I have to start from scratch. 29 years old, two boys, no job. Financially, nothing, you have to start from zero and you cannot even communicate with anyone. But I was so determined. So as soon as I arrived in Australia, I enrolled myself in English class, enrolled the kids to the school. And uh, I to make the story short, I did my Bachelor of Nursing, I did my uh, Postgrad, I did my Master of Nursing. I did uh, some um, like a leadership course, lots of small courses as well, because a study always was something I was passionate Mm. about. I just wanted to do, and I had this opportunity. It's quite crazy if I just um, not use that opportunity which was given to me, Mm. second life was given to me. So it was very hard, very hard. i tell you a funny story. I went to get my license. I was in Australia only for three months, couldn't speak English. And uh, I want to get my L first. So anyway, uh, they asked me, you can get the Persian interpreter. So to is a, a little easier for you because they translate for you. I said, no, I want to do it in English. <laughs> so I was doing, practicing, going to library at that time and practicing on the computer, going to a question, find every question, couldn't speak English, couldn't communicate with anyone. I went to uh, RTA at that time and... Um, I say I came for English test. I show them the paper. Okay, the man look at me. If I'm not even speaking, speak English, how could you do the English test? So I sat there. I did the first question, pass, second pass, third pass. And the last one, And I told the man like that, done, done. And he was looking at me, what are you talking about? I say, pass, done. And he looked at that and said, yes, you must. <laughs> I had my ill. I went home and my brother said, You're going to fail. Don't have your hope high because you're going to fail. It's a fair start. It's okay. You cannot speak English. I said, that's fine. I went home and my brother came. I was teasing him and say, How was it? I say, I failed. I didn't pass. And after we had dinner, I say, have a look at this. And I show him my L. He couldn't believe it. They say, how could you do it? I say, "With you determine, you want to do something, yes, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, that was it was very hard. But but I went through depression, anxiety. Yeah. I was crying all the time. But I no one knew what's going on. Same as you I, I didn't want my friend. I had beautiful, beautiful still have an um, Australian friend that really did support me you always tell me, you're always happy. You always, they didn't know what's going on until later on I told them. So I was going home at work, happy, doing everything. And uh, everyone loved me at work, which is such a good thing, having the environment that people give you love. And um, coming home because you got two kids now that are teenagers now, they're going through their own identity, finding their own identity. And it was so heartbreaking to see sometimes I could not provide more for them. I was blaming myself. I was saying maybe I did the wrong thing. So it was so much fighting in here, mm. getting to the very bad depression. Then I realised one day I should have stopped that. I should have stopped this because it's not going to help me. I was looking into the mirror at that day. And I start to talk into the mirror to myself, which was like a self-therapy, and it's helped me a lot. And I start to make my 10 self-made rule to follow, still I follow it, and to be a stronger person, to be happier, to be independent. And It wasn't easy, as I say, and I know so many people. That's why I wouldn't tell my story. It wasn't easy mm. to tell my story. It's a big, it's a wound, actually. You're going to open it. You're going to expose it. And underneath is full of infection. It's going into the body. It's going to kill you. You're just covering it with a scar. One day you have to say, no, I'm going to open this wound. I'm going to make this wound to heal to be able to live. Otherwise, it's going to kill me. Mm. So it was easy, and I'm sure so many people going through this difficulty, I was going through before that's why i want to be a voice for them and i want to help them i want to tell them come on get off the bench do the thing you have to do no one going to help you yeah. if you want someone to help you look into the mirror is you yeah. no one coming to ask you but i was telling myself sharp no one coming to tell you shad what's your problem can i solve the problem for you can i do anything for you i went for to um counseling actually absolutely hate it because the thing that was telling me it was against my culture against my belief but if your son getting angry with you now oh if so just is his life leave it you have your life you was it's not it's my key my life is part of my kids you know maybe it's worked for some people didn't work for me Mm -hmm. to be honest so i will have to say i'm a person i have to find my way if i need help yes there's so many help there around if you're depressed I'm telling you guys if you're depressed there's so much help around Mm. you but no one knows you're in depression no one knows that you're suffering you need to stand up for your right and you need to be honest with yourself see this is my weakness I'm suffering
0: I need help Mm.
1: and that's was me. wow I'll
0: tell you what you know the, you've said so much in there like um, that you didn't know English you know but you, you were determined you're going to get your license you went to university still you know and English wasn't your language like I think there are so many people that say oh I can't you know I don't know this I don't know that and I think we do not use enough of our brain and I'm guilty of it you know we we We're capable of so much more than we think we are. And I guess it just depends, you know, when you're in a desperate situation, you're going to find a way to dig deeper and to get that... that that are out of you most of us are too comfortable and that is a problem you know we're so comfortable that we don't extend ourselves and 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 as I say you know I'm I'm often guilty of that you know I'm comfortable like I am so I won't extend the problem is you know sometimes the universe comes and gives us a kick in the butt you know and says you need to start extending and if you don't do it yourself I'm going to give you a push but I just love that I love what you've done and I and i I love that you say that you know you you kicked yourself out of it. And I'm not I'm not just gonna sit here as a psychologist and tell people you can kick yourself out of depression by talking in the mirror, because there's different things that work for different people. But the truth is deep down, we're the only ones that are going to you know, you know, help us that we have to help ourselves, and we can do that with external help as, as well, but it has something has to shift inside us, you know, to work. But and so you've you've developed these 10 steps and then you've they've worked and at some point what was the catalyst that made you say I need to write a book I no, I've been through this life I've learned English I've been through all these challenges I've overcome them I created 10 steps to help myself and now I need to share this story with other women what, what was the point that made you feel worthy enough or valid enough or credible enough that you felt you could write a book not, not that you should have to feel those things, but people do need to feel those things before they will. What, what was that? What
1: happened? It was many reasons, actually, I decided to write my book. 22 years it took me to, I mean, to sit and decide I mean, probably 18, 19 years, because I started three years ago, four years ago, to write mine. Mm. So it took me ages, but few reasons. First reason, my friends. Like you, when I was talking about my what happened to me, they was getting, I could see the astonishment in their eyes and the eagerness to know more mm. and more about what happened mm. because people don't know what's happening back in Iran or other countries. Yeah. So they encouraged me, please write a story, your story and a book about it. And they, even one of my friends kept telling me, go to the podcast, talk to people. People mm. not need to know about your story. Yeah. That was the first reason. Second reason was to heal my wound, as I say, because something happened to me in the past. When you're living a life like that in misery and you believe because you're abuser, I was emotionally and psychologically abused by that man mm. and the government as well. Mm. So constantly people telling you, you are not good, you are not good, you are not good. You believe, yes, I'm not good. I'm a failure. I did something wrong. So there is a wound which you need to make sure this wound completely heal. My wound didn't heal until I finished this book I tell you. Wow. Because before I was angry. Mm. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was blaming every small thing. I was questioning myself, judging myself all the time. I was if I make a mistake, I was telling myself like I wasn't like easy like now I'm talking to you. Was, if I say something wrong, I was questioning myself why I say this thing wrong. I blame myself. I couldn't sleep that night because I was always watching what I was saying, watching what I was doing. And it takes ages. So I so I told myself maybe by writing this book I can heal this wound, which has happened till last chapter. Of my book I had that anger in me wow I was crying I was angry I had to stop writing for like a few days mm. or even a month to get my strengths back again uh I was saying why this happened to me why still I was thinking back I'm a victim this has happened to me finish the last chapter honestly the anger the pain the regret the shame all gone. Wow. I'm definitely, if people know me, I mean, the people who knew me, they uh, know I'm a different person now, mm. but I'm comfortably talking to you. Mm. I wasn't like that. I'm comfortably talking to my friend, which I know, but outside that, as I say, because for many, many, many years, I was watched all the time. Mm. It wasn't an easy thing to do. As soon as I wrote my book, wrote my book, I can see I'm a different person now. I don't care. I want to share this story. The other reason, which is the main reason, is the love for the humanity. I don't care people from which religion. I believe all religion came on the right time. And the religion is like going to school from year one, year two, year three, like that. One God, God, one mankind. I don't care, my friend, is Christian, I don't care, he's Muslim, I don't care as far as he's a human, he's a nice person. So I decided I'm going to a voice for the voiceless people, especially the Baha'i people back in Iran, which they're still suffering. My dad lost his land because being Baha'i, lost his future because being Baha'i. Now he's in Australia, cannot speak English. He had a big house. He has a hobby of going for hunting for friends. He sacrificed everything just because being Baha'i and belief on Baha'i faith. So many people suffering at, at the moment in Iran. Just recently, a um, young man which got two kids by name of Arsalan Yazdani was arrested in Iran for acting, they uh, say, He was acting against um, national security, which is all rubbish. They just want to accuse them of something and deprive them from the basic human right. That's very sad to see a young family with two small kids going through that and they don't know even where the father is you know what i mean mm. so many stories like that they're still destroying the cemetery in iran the high cemetery they burn their house they raid their house so i want to be voice for them and say i don't forgot about you guys i'm in australia yeah i know but i'm going to be a voice for you to tell people around the world that this is happening to you still in 2021 mm. and the last one is to help women yeah. and some men. Because Australia, actually, if you see the statistic or some study in Australia is showing one in four women, I mean, one in yeah, four women and one in six men suffering from emotional abuse in the hand of their partner since age 15. So this is not only happening in Iran, and now recently, so what's happening in Afghanistan and around the world, it's happening everywhere, every day. Even now we're talking so many people feeling exactly in the same situation I was in Australia. Mm. So I want to tell them it's never late. Just get your act together, be strong, have your plan, and especially you are in Australia or free country, you have lots of help around you. Mm. Just reach for the help and get out of that situation. No one can help you. You can only help yourself. And that was my aim to write this book.
0: Wow, and I think all of them are absolutely fantastic reasons. And, it's you know, it's, it comes back to that whole thing is when you start to think about, as you said, about humanity, you know, and when you start to think about people beyond yourself, you know, and I think, I think that when we start serving others, it takes away a lot of our own pain. You know, we see a purpose for our pain and we see meaning in our life and we see a reason to share the story, you know, to 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 make sure that um, humanity as a whole, our communities are safer and and all that sort of stuff. I tell you what, what a book. I've got to get my hands on one of those books because, and so does everyone listening. If you're listening to this, guys, I, I, I challenge you. You're not going to be able to get off this podcast and not buy that book because, um, you know, Shab's only only touched on like briefly touched on you know some of the things that have happened and my god what a journey you, you you've you've had me on the edge of my seat you know I've been like oh shit I'd be too scared to do that but I think it's 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 bloody wonderful I have loved this absolutely love this I'm going to ask you my get off the bench question because of course this um, podcast is to inspire people to take action and it, it doesn't need to be as big as your action but, you know, we get one shot at life, we get one, one life, we've got, to, we've got to give it the best. And what advice would you give to somebody who feels trapped in their life, but feels, and you've kind of covered this anyway, but they feel like deep down they've got so much more to offer the, offer you know, off of the world, and we're not talking about trapped in an abusive relationship, just trapped. You know, people just feel like I'm stuck at a job or I'm stuck looking after this, I'm stuck. But they know deep down they're wasting away. What would you
1: What would you tell them? As you say, trapped can be in any situation. It's not only on like a violence relationship or emotional relationship or thing like that. Yeah. It could be any Anything. My advice for those people is take the first step. Don't escape. Be brave. You don't know what you have inside you. You don't know your power. Work in your weakness. Try to know yourself first. See what's your weakness. Work on your weakness and use your strengths to start your journey. And then you don't. It's happening so quickly for you. You don't even realize how quickly it's happened. And the rest will be legacy. Your life, your legacy, and I'm sure you will be successful. But you are the one who can help yourself. So, yes, get off the bench. Do whatever you want. You can do it. Believe on yourself. That's the most important thing. Believe on yourself, be positive. I
0: love it. And you're so right. Take that first step. And and you said it will happen so fast. And I've seen that so many times. Once somebody decides to do something and they take the first step, the the momentum just starts screaming away, you know, and it, it happens so fast. Well, Shab, I have... Loved this interview. I've absolutely loved it. And I know that my listeners are going to be blown away, blown away by your story. And I so appreciate your honesty and your openness, you know, and and your willingness to share such a difficult story. And like you say, it's about opening up, reopening that wound you know uh, most of the time we try to hide it we try to suppress it we try to cover it up and band-aid it and all that kind of stuff and you're right if we leave it unhealed but covered up it it will get infected and it will kill us you know and if we have the courage to rip it open and let it out it, it, it will eventually heal so thank you for sharing that that analogy because i think it's such an important one now where can people find you because i'm sure people are going to want to follow your journey and hunt you down and i don't mean
1: in a bad way <laughs> well I <hope> yeah <laughs> no people, people can find me actually on my website which is www.shatnamigani dot icom yeah and they can find me on LinkedIn, which is Shapnam on bracket Shap Igani, or Facebook, Fighting for a Future, Trap Behind the Border at Shapnam Igani author, or my Instagram, Shapnam Igani at Shap underscore Igani.
0: That is fantastic. And I'm going to put all of these links in the show notes so people can just click on them. But guys, uh, uh, follow, please follow Shab because you know she. This this story takes a lot of courage, and um, you, you know it, many, 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 many women need to read this and hear it and be inspired by this, and, and you know to trigger their own bravery. And on your book, I, you t- you told me before we started, you've just had some great information about book reviews, so.
1: What happened there? <laughs> uh, today I just had my um, an email from my publisher. It was a beautiful email. He said, "Shab, I'm not going to tell you, but you better read this email." And I had five uh, uh, review from the international um, reviewer. Uh, they gave me all five stars. They say this book need to be read. It's a beautiful book and it's so fantastic. I'm going to put it in my uh, website actually soon so people can see that review as well and hopefully in Amazon and Goodreads. That
0: is absolutely fantastic. That is testament that it's, it's great. Uh, Shab, I've, I've loved it. Thank you so, so, so much. I've really enjoyed it. I really look forward thank to staying you. in touch and, you know, and following your journey. and And thank you so, so very much.
1: No, thank you for having me today. That was so great.
0: My absolute pleasure. All right, we'll catch up with you soon. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. So ya. Oh guys, I'm speechless. That was fantastic. I cannot, I cannot imagine um, that kind of life. I cannot imagine taking those kind of risks. I I I guess we do get too comfortable where we live and I know that at any time we could actually be facing that same thing and I think that we need to pay a little bit more attention to gratitude and you know really be thankful for the life that we do live and the things that we can control and I don't know just just Get going and doing things before shit hits the fan. Anyway, I really hope that you go and buy her book. It's called Fighting for a Future Trapped Behind the Border. It's Shabnam Igani, and her all of her details are going to be in the um in the show notes. Go and get the book. Read the 10 steps that she's created that have obviously got her through, which is absolutely incredible. It's got five-star reviews. You look, this story needs to be told. Women everywhere need to read this and men actually. And we just need to get this world equal and we need to elevate people and support people and to recognize when someone's in a shitty place and to help them out. And I love that she's had the courage to bring this story forward. So please go support her. Everything's in the show notes, but it's shabnamigani.com. Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining me every single week. And that's it. I will see you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.